from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's a tiny, that's the best clap we've done in several episodes. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. This is Michelle. This is Mark. You know why. That was a clap of one. Because it's uh, Christmas? No. Because I specifically calibrated the width of my hand, the distance between my two hands to match <laughs> yours and Mark's. Okay. We'll see if that theory holds out the next show. <laughs> <laughs> no laughing guests. Well, you're you not know, supposed to make any comments until we introduce. Well, you know, there's a life hack when you do high fives, right? There's a what? The the life hack when you do high fives. Okay, so if you're I doing should, a high I five, I should have said no instead of just shook my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you are, how many times have you gone to do a high five and you miss the person's hand or whatever? Couple, couple right? So here's here's for future reference. Don't look at their hand. Look at their elbow. Oh, okay. Like when it's getting ready yeah, to move? I guess so. Yeah, so just totally don't even look at their hand, just look at their elbow. And for some reason, it works really well. So, huh. so that's what I was doing. I was more uh, not really paying attention to my own hands or what I was doing. I was paying attention to your hands and how far apart they were and how fast they were traveling. So it's not all about me, Perry. It's all about you today. <laughs> well, I usually wait for the high five. And when they're about halfway there, I just put my hand down. <laughs> <laughs> Leave them hanging. Yeah. Leave them hanging. In the modern era. That's so bad. So I'm super excited. I have to. I have to just. I just have to tell Go everybody it. it's yeah. move day today. Oh yes, your your tiny house is complete. Yes, or- my tiny perch is done. How far is it moving? About a thousand feet. Okay, <laughs> still a big deal. Well, it's a big deal because I have to go over the river and through the woods. So. Um, we're taking it from literally. the yeah, literally. <laughs> we're taking it from the upper section to what we call the lower section of the property. So it's not going to be near yours. Yes, exactly near mine. Oh, it is. Yes, yeah, actually. Um, so, but so my um, my tiny house is on the upper section with the barn and the pump house and the yeah. main house yeah. and kind of the main. If you continue down the the road past the main a piece, yeah, a piece down the, okay down the road a piece. <laughs> uh, you go down the gravel road. Down below is the Christmas tree farm section. Remember, I've told you I live on a yeah. Christmas I've tree been farm. there. Yeah, right. So down below is the Christmas tree farm and. The perch will be in the middle of the farm. So it isn't next to your house. It's below. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you can throw, you can throw a rock from my front door to the, to the roof line. As she probably will be when there's people <laughs> in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling, Shut pipe up. down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys pipe down. Knock it down off. There. But you got to go again. No you got to go down this, <laughs> this gravel road. I was explaining it to one of the, a potential mover yesterday and trying to explain how it's getting in the angle there. And he goes, so, in other words, you want me to parallel park your tiny house uphill on gravel. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like when you figure out all the, the angles and the, yeah. So I'm super excited, really stressed, have not slept at all. How so you, you described him as a, as a possible mover that you talked to yesterday. <laughs> Did you finalize a mover? Uh, yes still, and no. Okay. Yes and no. So I have a tow truck driver that swears to me. That all I need to do is just call him within an hour, and then he'll be there. Wow. You must not be having very many 
Well, that's yeah. the that's yeah. the weird thing is we've had really bad weather lately, so yeah. I'm hoping he got caught up from all of the bad weather stuff. But but yeah, it's you would be amazed at how difficult it is to find someone that um, you know. I had a quote for you know three hundred and eighty dollars to move it a thousand feet. To move it a thousand feet. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, it's and that is obviously probably reflective, not obviously, but probably reflective of someone that doesn't want to do it. Well, yeah, that yeah. was an Uber driver in a Pinto. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, something like that. So, how did you how did you uh, connect that house to electricity? Uh, we put in a power pole. Oh. Yeah. Did you have to have a utility come and do that? No, the landowner did it. He is an electrical engineer. Oh, perfect. Um, wow. And so he put in the power pole, and then he dug the new water line. My water line is actually on what's called a standpipe. Yeah. The disadvantage of a standpipe is that you have to actually have the the handle up. Uh, when you're running the water, obviously. Um, they're freeze-proof stand pipes, so when you put know that. the handle down, the water goes back, back into the ground, ground, doesn't freeze. Yeah. So the disadvantage of being on a stand pipe on a tiny house is that then you have to figure out how to have the handle up on the stand pipe and also have it insulated. Oh, yeah. So I had to wrap the whole stand pipe with heat tape, and then we had to wrap the whole thing with insulation, and then we put a garbage can over the top of it. <laughs> Because a frozen standpipe is pretty right. expensive and yeah. tra traumatic. So this one, he actually there's a standpipe down below as well, but he didn't like he didn't like having it up all the time. So he dug a trench and he put a new underground water line that will connect to my freeze-proof underground water line. Um, so yeah. how much of the how much of the revenue is he going to get from? We haven't decided. Wow, all that work and you haven't decided on the right price. She's yeah. being real frugal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. Wow. Well, at first they were supposed to do all of the excavation. They were supposed to do, they were supposed to provide the gravel, um, you know, all that fun stuff. And they didn't do any of that. Oh, so first of okay. all. So second of all, he did put the power pole in, but I bought all of the materials because he said, well, I'd really like to do this, but I don't have any money. I'm like, okay, well, here's all the materials. So that way he only had to spend his time. So it has been an ongoing negotiation. Also, I haven't really officially decided on my, my nightly rate yet. Um, there's varying opinions. You know, you do your research and then you get about 15 opinions for all 15 people you ask. So I'm figuring out what my rate's going to be, so I don't know what to offer them. I have decided, however, <clears throat> I'm going to offer them a flat rate instead of a percentage because the percentage requires that I open my books mm -hmm. and, I'm not, and I'm not inclined. Oh, Can I you say it's in the middle of a Christmas tree farm? What do you is mean? that part of it? What do you mean? The allure of it's having located the in the yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll That's be cool. part of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, I just don't. Um, it, it's you know, it's kind of funny because I could pay them I quote unquote a double digit percentage of my income, but then that could literally be fifty bucks it or zero. Be, yeah, right. exactly. Depending so, on what you wanted to do. Yeah. So who's who? Who do I want to favor? If I give them a flat rate, it doesn't matter what my bookings are. They're always going to be able to depend on that amount of money. And so. if this ever goes south, you can just pick up your homes and leave. Correct. I have several <laughs> other. True. Yeah, I have several other people with other pieces of land that have already offered me a oh, spot. Okay. That's and good. wish I was actually there instead of where I'm at already. Like why? Um, they they like the allure of tiny houses. Um, they like the potential income when they have to do relatively nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, I would say those are the top two reasons Interesting. they like having, and also my guest now, or excuse me, my land house has a guest house. 
So whenever the, anyone from their family comes to stay with them, if they don't want to stay in their house, instead of a hotel, I have offered them use of my oh, Airbnb for their guests. Oh. So, so it's pretty amicable all around. Yeah, but honestly, I haven't decided what amount yet. What do you think is fair? I'm not going to say. 175 A month? What? A is day, this a nightly thing? Night? No, not a nightly oh. thing. What do you think would be fair as far as a uh, revenue share with my land host? Oh, oh, oh. Sorry. Oh. I'm not. <laughs> Why are you not saying that? 15%. She just said she didn't want to do a percentage. Well, she wants no, a flat. I, but you still, I know, I know. You 15% what the amount is, but if the amount goes oh, up, see. the percentage stays the same. Right. Or it doesn't stay the same. It lessens. <laughs> I don't know. It's math. We haven't had coffee. Uh, that's true. <laughs> Let's talk to our guest. I'm trying to allow for her frugal nature. <laughs> Strike two. Yes, Speaking of frugal, <laughs> our guests are living out of a bus. <laughs> Let's get to them. <laughs> We're on all cylinders this year. We are going <laughs> straight oh, yeah. down. <laughs> Let's get to our desk. Speaking of frugal, oh, that's what. <laughs> wow. It was really? strike two. <laughs> totally it went over. It was strike It went over here it both totally times. Went over, yeah, totally. Both times. You got to be more, I guess. Well, that's overt. like. I, I know. That I was can like, wave at you. <laughs> <laughs> more frugal. Speaking of frugal, <laughs> our, actually, um, so. Listeners, we, we record more than one show, as you know, each time. And this time around, we've got two uh, people living out of buses, two, two folks living out of buses. And our first guest, bus day, first guests are a couple who have uh, decided to sell all their shit, excuse the language, Christians, and move into a bus. Christians don't say shit. Well, some, some have okay. a problem with the vulgarity. Left, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Left heard. Back on track. <laughs> and so, um, these folks, they were multiple hundreds of dollars in debt. They sold all their stuff and then moved into a bus in order to be on the road. And they have found the key to happiness. And as a result of that, they started this blog called The Frugal RVer. And so I'd like to welcome ladies first, Amy and Derek to the show. Welcome to the show, Eric and, or Derek and Amy. I guess <laughs> Eric, Derek and Amy put together as Eric. Oh, you could do it. Or, or Damien. <laughs> Welcome to the show, you guys. I love it. W- welcome, Damien. <laughs> so um, we had a, doing our research, noticed that you guys um, have had some epiphanies as you have gone through this uh, process. Derek, I understand you are a, I'm going to get it wrong, but a financial planner of some sort. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> oh, that's right. We so audience, just so you know, <clears throat> in our preparation for the show, we've discovered that there's like a three second lag between when we ask a question and Derek and Amy answer. And so we'd like you to expect that everybody's just giving it really good thought, <laughs> like really purposeful. Hmm. When you hear that little lag, so that's purposeful. Or maybe we'll just ask a question and go over. <laughs> <laughs> Or also we'll ask Derek and Amy to be very, very like, atten- like, bam, like answer the question. Yeah. Like, don't even think about right. it. <laughs> so, so yes, Derek. We is can a- be quick. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Over. <laughs> um, so, so how did you guys, how did you guys decide to, to um, give it all up as far as the American dream and go for where you're at? Over. 
So I was laid off in 2015, early 2015, and uh, I decided to take my my three months severance and start my own financial planning firm. That's where I came from in the corporate world was financial planning. And um, the company wasn't performing as we had hoped. It wasn't supporting our lifestyle. We had two mortgages to pay. And we originally downsized into uh, an RV. Uh, It wasn't so tiny. It was 42 feet, had five slides. It was just massive, actually. Um, And yeah, that was kind of the segue into tiny living. And we were introduced to the community, uh, to the RV community. And from there, we decided to downsize again. We we realized that the the fifth wheel that we had was a little, it wasn't as mobile as we thought it was. Mm. Um, so we decided to downsize again and, uh, sell it all one more time. Mm. Whoa. That's a lot in two years. So you get laid off, you start a company, you (laughs) sell two houses, you buy an RV, you sell an RV, and now you live in a bus. That's a lot in two years. Do you feel like you caught your breath yet? It's a lot. (laughs) Um, no. (laughs) no. I feel like we're, um, the craziest people ever. Um, it has been a whirlwind of a two years. It's been the best two years I think that we've ever had, but yeah, I mean, it's still in, feels in the surreal. worst, probably <laughs> <laughs> up high, very high highs and low lows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that the, you, you mentioned in your, on your website being 200 plus thousand in debt, but you <clears> said you had two mortgages. How did you, how did you, where do you live? I mean, for me, 200,000 plus in debt cannot possibly include two mortgages unless your houses were pretty inexpensive. How'd you do that? We, we live in the Southeast. So yeah, the houses are, are really cheap. It's cheaper to own in the Southeast than it is to rent. So our first house was, we bought in 2010. Um, so it was, the market was still down. We bought it for a hundred thousand dollars. Our second house we bought for 125,000. So you were so you had two houses. One was a rental, and one you lived in, or what was the deal there? Correct. Yep. Okay. And so you sold all of that, and then you moved into first the forty footer or the fifth wheel. The fifth wheel that that was the forty the forty footer. Yeah. Okay. And so so what is the what is the difference, or or what are the epiphanies that you gained moving from um, houses to yeah, Mark is doing the shuffle game. <laughs> houses to fifth wheeler, and then to the the bus that you're in now. We keep realizing that we don't need the stuff, you know. Like we we realize we didn't need all the stuff in our house. So we downsized to a fifth wheel. Um, we we didn't want to go any smaller than 42 feet because we were terrified about going tiny. <laughs> Uh, got into the fifth wheel, realized we didn't need all that stuff. We had storage compartments that we never opened, um, and we decided to do it again. And we've we've been in the bus now for about four months. We've been traveling full time, and we've already had uh, conversations about downsizing again, possibly going to a van and traveling overseas. Yeah, I think that we kind of bought into this cookie cutter life that we didn't even realize we were living. You know, it's like what society told us that we should be doing, and then getting rid of all of our stuff was the most liberating thing. I mean, it was amazing. It felt so good to rid ourselves of things and just have experiences. And it's been so eye-opening and totally has changed the way we view everything. It's interesting, you guys, because I have a recent 
connection with a group of people who are ultra wealthy and they talk about how I, I'm in this middle zone because they talk about how wonderfully freeing it is to be financially free on that in that way. And Derek, maybe you have a sense because you worked in the field that you worked where these people are saying, you know, having all this, this money provides a certain level of freedom that's really amazing. But then we've talked with a number, uh, almost all the people we've talked to in the Tiny House podcast who say exactly the opposite. It's like having none of that stuff is way more freeing. And so um, how would you describe, how would you characterize that seeming dichotomy where the ultra rich will say, well, yeah, money isn't everything if you don't have any. Um, I mean, money isn't everything. Yeah, money isn't everything because you don't have any, any versus you don't have any money, you don't have any possessions, and so you're more free than ever. How, do you, how, do you, how would you des- describe that? I've got a, uh, a saying, uh, wealth has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with freedom. Um, and I think that, you know, you can, you can either cut costs and, and be free or you can make a lot of money and be free. Uh, I think money is relative. I agree. That's what I was going to say. Actually, that would have been my response as well. Like, what's the magic number? So when, if we were to say someone was really wealthy, you know, the, and then, Again, therein lies the dichotomy. Is, a, is six figures, is $100,000 the magic number? Or is it a million? And I think for every single person on the planet, that number as far as what would take them from where they are now to the ultimate freedom, that number as far as the salary or whatever money in the bank is, an, is, a, different, is a different amount. So I think it's, and I also think it's easier um, for as much time and investments as it takes, I still think it's easier to cut costs than to make more money. Well, it's interesting. You because, definitely have more control. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I know this one guy who has, I think he makes $750,000 a month. Okay. And he's got a, he just bought a helicopter. Wow. He has a jet. He just bought a Lamborghini. And um, to me, when he describes these things, I think, holy crap. The, ma- the management mm-hmm. of all that stuff. Yep. I mean, the helicopter came with the pilot. The jet came with the pilot. The jet came with the mechanic. The, you know, the, the Lamborghini comes with a service contract. You've got all this stuff to manage. It seems like, you know, here comes a compliment, Derek and Amy. Driving around in a bus is a much simpler, much more enjoyable life than have, eat, having all those things, it seems to me. I agree. Um, and... I think whenever you have everything, it's more difficult to appreciate things. Um, I, I stayed with um, a friend of ours who makes about $600,000 a month. I uh, stayed with him for a week and was able to experience that lifestyle. And he just, he, he dropped more money in a day than I make in a year. And, you know, he had uh, the Rolls Royce and the Air, the hangar um with his private jet and 12 sailboats he didn't even know where a few of the sailboats were um he had four or five full-time staff at his house uh, um but he, he just it seemed like he was pretty unhappy because he just how do you appreciate anything at that point mm-hmm. yeah burdened with stuff yeah and staff yeah, and staff yeah it's- i mean who wants to be in a home and have a bunch of People wandering Un- around that aren't your family. Relatively unknown people. Mm-hmm. You think that they, I, I imagine that they're relatively unknown. Right. I mean, you might know them by name and know his family's his kids and all that right. stuff. Right. Well, I'm sure, you, you know, the old treating them like family thing and so 
until you stop paying them. <laughs> They're not family anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so Derek um, and Amy, um, don't want to leave you out, Amy. Damie. Damie. That's a good, let's just call him. <laughs> um, like Damien Omen too. Just <laughs> um, so what's it, what's it like being on the, on the road in a bus? Uh, it's amazing. We have a blast. So we get to travel. Um, we travel full time. So we get to see new things. You get to see it in a new way. You're not flying into a town and just seeing that one area. You're seeing the way in. You get to see that city and then see everything around. You just see it in a new way. Um, we have a two-year-old daughter. So um, we're just exposing our daughter to this whole new world. And she loves it. She gets to play outside every day. I always joke that rocks are her toys because we don't have a ton of space for toys. So rocks are her toys. She has so much fun just playing outside. It's just, it's, you know, it's relaxing. It's easy. It's fun. We love it. Um, okay. We're going to take the, uh, we're going to take the, uh, we're going to add a little tarnish to the rainbows and ponies here. <laughs> um, so for tiny house people in particular, um, there are many of them that don't want to get a tiny house until they know exactly where they're going to park it. And then there are other people that, um, like myself, that are willing to have a tiny house and we're confident or we two. can find... Or two. Or, or three. Three. <laughs> three. Three. Last count. Um, but my, my point is, is that on the other hand, no, living a life of a nomad also has sort of intrinsic um, um, stress. So how do you find a place to park? And... How successful or not successful? Tell us a story about, um, you know, the best or shall we say the worst place you found to park. So for us, I would say it is a little bit different than an, a typical tiny house because we're in a bus and our bus is not the standard bus size. Ours is kind of a midsize, so it's a lot smaller, so it fits in a lot of places. So we typically try to stay for free, so we try to stay in like national forest or some BLM land out out west it's really much easier um but we kind of just try to park off the grid for the most part but like you said it's not all cupcakes and rainbows it's not always easy um especially we're from the southeast and we're here now <laughs> and it's been kind of tough to find places other than at our family's mm. um properties and stuff like that um what do you? What would you say is the worst place we've ever? <laughs> worst place was was it outside of Portland? I think it was right outside of Portland where we ended up staying at this Mexican restaurant because it was uh, larger cities are very unfriendly to RVers and boondockers especially, which is dry camping for anybody who doesn't know what that means. Um, yeah, we, we've actually been pretty fortunate. We haven't had too many. We haven't had any run-ins with. Um, cops or um, you know most of the neighborhoods that we've been in have been pretty safe yeah, yeah we've been really lucky so far but we've only been on the road for four months mm. was that Portland Oregon or Portland Maine that you had trouble Oregon really what do you do you remember what town you were in it was actually Actually, just outside of it was on our way to Portland. So actually, I think we were closer to Vancouver at that point, right? Maybe. Mm. What a yeah, shame! I don't, that I don't town. recall actually. <laughs> so what happened? Did someone sure knock would. on your door? I know it was on our way to Portland. 
Did someone knock on your door and say, get out or something? No, it was just, no, we just, um, we couldn't find it. Yeah. We just couldn't, mm. we, we just drove around for a couple hours and we checked, uh, freecampsites.net and ioverlander, which are kind of our, our go-to resources for boondocking spots. And uh, we just ended up driving around for a couple hours and uh, with the two-year-old, that's not always easy to do. Yeah. So we just ended up pulling over and it actually ended up being okay. Uh, it wasn't unsafe or anything. There was a, a fifth wheel that was actually parked in the parking lot. So we went and knocked on his door. And Also, <laughs> I don't know if we've said this, but we try to stay completely for free. I don't know if I said that or not. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to avoid campgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't do campgrounds. Do they let you, do they let you still, I'm looking at Michelle now. Do they let you still park? I mean, not that you know this, but mm. you're in the community. So do they let you uh, park in Walmart still? Um, most of them do. Some of them don't Mm. in the town that I live, for instance, even though Walmart does have a policy to let you park in the parking lot overnight. Um, in the town that I live in, they, they passed a moratorium and said no overnight, you know, camping or parking in any parking lots. Mm. So when Walmart came to town, um, which was only about a year and a half ago, they were actually pretty concerned about it. So they just passed a law that, that said, we don't care what Walmart's policy is. We have our own town policy. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, yeah, exactly. That supersedes that. Mm-hmm. So, Damien, does it, does it, have you uh, stopped and parked at Walmart? <laughs> Walmart is a last resort for us, but we have a couple times. <laughs> and we've been turned away actually from some Walmarts too. But yeah, it's pretty rare when we stop there. So, two questions then. Number one, why, why is it rare that you stop there? Number two, what on earth were you turned away from a Walmart? They're in Sherwood. <laughs> <laughs> for, the same, for the same reason that you can't stay overnight. Um, and we try to stay away from Walmart just because we totally would pick being in the woods any day mm, over sure. a parking lot. Yeah. So we will search and search and try to find a spot that is not in the middle of a parking lot. And you just never know what you're going to get with Walmart. I Could did. be the guy from the toy aisle coming out to kick you, <laughs> or the guy from the gun aisle. So the opposite of of what Michelle asked earlier, what are some of the nicest places you've stayed? Um, New Mexico, we probably had the best luck. Angel Peak was a BLM land that was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we ended up uh, staying in a campground at uh, Crater Lake National Park. Uh, that was beautiful. Um, I would, my personal favorite was Moab, Utah. Uh, yeah. We were um, staying right outside of Arches National Park and it was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Have you ever wanted to stay at one of those places, just like pitch an anchor and hang out forever? Moab, it was it was pretty close, but Moab was weird. We were for the first time, we didn't really have any direction, which was I don't know. It, it that's our only stress, but it it was a a pretty bad stress, I guess. Like we um I don't know. It was it was just weird not having any direction. So we were parked in Moab, and we didn't know whether to go west or east back home for the holidays. Um, and yeah, so we didn't enjoy it, but we. Or as much as we would have otherwise, I guess. So we want to go back though and spend some more time there. It was just a really, really cool city. Yeah. I can certainly appreciate the fact that lack of structure 
Um, and freedom, again, has its own level of, of uh, you know, uh, its own level of, um, again, with no lack of structure, nowhere to go, where do you go? You don't want to go in the wrong place. So um, I can certainly appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, exactly, and diesel's expensive too. So you don't want to you don't want to drive the wrong direction. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, so so what is it? Do you have um, uh, solar equipment on your bus? Are you fully off grid or what? We have a massive battery bank. We've got six hundred amp hours at twenty four volts. Uh, we actually have panels, but we we have not installed them. Um, but we can last. Our battery bank can last about three weeks if we're using it conservatively, um, with just the the battery bank and then using the generator for some of the uh, the, the power hogs like AC and space heater stuff like that. Wow! And 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 um, did you do your your bus mod all by yourself? We did actually. Uh, we hired an electrical engineer um, to help out with with that part of it, but that was the only help that we got. Wow! And and had you done that kind of work before? No, no, not at all. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing when we got started. <laughs> the biggest woodworking project I'd done prior to the bus build was a uh, baby changing table, and <laughs> I got help with that. <laughs> he assembled it from Ikea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, so wow, this is interesting. So you, your first ever major construction project was the vehicle that you live in, right? That's yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we did a lot of, I mean, we did a lot of um, checking out other people's buses online and just kind of, Plugging away, figuring it out. We took a lot of things apart and back together again, <laughs> but we eventually got it to work and now it's a house. Hmm. You had mentioned earlier in the show that you were afraid of going, I will call it like traditional tiny, like down to, you know, 200 square feet or less. Uh, what was it about going all in in that regard was fearful to you? Oh man, it just, it all happened so fast. Um, so the, the motivation was financial, you know, it was so we could cut costs and give the business a shot. And it was, uh, one of those things where I looked at the numbers and it was like, Oh shit, we're, we're about to bleed out. And if we don't do something soon, we're not going to have the money to get out of, of our house. So we, we looked at RVs and, um, we didn't really do that much research about any other tiny house uh, option, really. Um, we didn't really know it was it was such a huge community, or mm-hmm. there were so many options. Um, so we just kind of shopped around RVs, and we stepped into this one and fell in love with it. And three weeks later, we sold the house, and we were living in the RV. Well, and again, it was back to that cookie-cutter way of life, you know, like the white picket fence that you think you have to have. So to deviate so far from that was terrifying. We didn't know anybody, anybody at all living this lifestyle. So we were in this alone and it felt really terrifying that we were doing something so radical. Yeah, It does seem if you guys, if, if one of your, or both of you had the American dream white picket fence idea of living 
And then I imagine that that you, Derek, being coming from the financial planning background that you have, I imagine that you have not just a personal, but probably a professional investment in that kind of, no pun intended, in that in that kind of lifestyle, because that's what I assume financial planners advise people to do is like to build nest eggs for retirement and stuff. That doing what you guys did is exactly what Amy described as some sort of um, almost like a revolution, a personal revolution. Would you guys have described it that way? Absolutely. It has completely changed my, uh, my perspective on money. Um, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it can just help so many people. I mean, even if you are, uh, I don't know, I've met a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life that are living the tiny house lifestyle. Um, but I've, I've got clients where I'm, I'm urging them to live in a van for just a couple of years. And it sounds crazy, especially if you're, you're making ends meet and you're able to put some money aside. But I mean, you, if you're making six figures and you're living in a van, you can be a millionaire in you know, five to seven years, possibly. Wow. I mean, it, it can be life-changing. It's interesting you say that, um, Derek, because we were trying to get a guy who works at Google mm. who had, um, I think he bought and con- he didn't really do much conversion. Yeah, it was he, like a moving truck. Like a moving truck. And he basically put a desk and a lamp, uh, not a lamp, a light bulb and a mattress. And he was living on the, in the parking space of Google un- until the guards caught him, I think. Well, until yeah. the media hit, and I think he was still living there. He, they just wouldn't let him talk to the media right, anymore. Right, and so he was he was planning to. I think he said he was going to be paying off his student loans in a year or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I would have. Yeah, yeah. And so I can see how that. I can see what you're saying, Derek. Where a person could become a millionaire in just a short amount of time if they were doing that. But in the in America, living out of your van is like a homeless situation for most people the most shameless thing that you could do yeah. or shameful thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough to go against the grain too. I mean, it, it really is um, as freeing as it is. And as convinced we are of the lifestyle, there are still some, some situations where we're, we're like, man, are we crazy? Did, are, is this the right move? Did we make the right decision here? Can you give some examples of that? Oh man, um, I mean, we've made some horrible financial moves in the past two years. Um, I mean, the, the equity that we had in our house basically went back into the lifestyle. Uh, we realized that the uh, campgrounds in our area, which was Metro Atlanta, was not as cheap as the national averages just because it was so close to a city. So um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a tough hit and we were once again, bleeding out, living in a campground because we had uh, underestimated cost. So that was, you know, just kind of watching the, your money continue to go down the drain after you thought that you were kind of, uh, you had stopped the bleeding. That that was a gut check. And I mean, there's been, can you think of any other instances where it was just? Um, I mean, I think sometimes just living in a bus alone, just feels um i don't know homeless yeah. <laughs> and you feel a little like grungy at times <laughs> and you feel like you don't really fit in when you come home and everyone else is you know yeah we definitely don't fit so, in anymore <laughs> I mean, it definitely is it's just different i yeah. feel that way too actually even in my tiny house i feel that way like 
sometimes it's like, what the hell? I'm sitting here by myself in a 200 square foot box that I built myself. Like, what? I feel the same way living with my wife, not living in the same spot. I mean, seriously, living, I'm, I spend most of my time in the cabin that I built, and right. it's it's an unconventional situation. And sometimes I wonder, what the how the fuck did I get here? You know, <laughs> and but but so Derek and Amy, right. so right. when when you what did your what are your what do your parents do, and what did they think about what you did, what you've done? So. Um... I'm assuming you're saying what do our parents do for a living? Yeah. Um, my mom is actually retired. She's retired and is now a pastor. And my dad is a graphic designer. So my parents at first um, couldn't believe <laughs> that we would live this lifestyle. My dad kind of laughed at us and he's like, well, when I think about it, if your mom and I had had the technology we have today when we first got married, maybe we would have done something like that, Hmm. but still there was some, there was some pushback on like, are you sure that you really want to do this? Because it's just so different. Um, Derek's parents, I'll let you talk about your parents. Uh, my mom is a paralegal for McKesson. Uh, she does contract work over there. And then, uh, my stepdad is, uh, he's in sales. Or a Chinese company, um, and they—they've actually been pretty supportive. They've been probably our biggest supporters oh, through wow. all of this. Yeah. But yeah, they—they're like, do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come visit. Yeah, you're crazy. But, do your but we'll thing. Come visit. You. Right. Wow, interesting. So you haven't had a lot of. So okay, so you guys feel. If I may put words, well, I don't have to put words in your mouth because you told us. You guys feel that you're out of the box living right now compared to the mainstream. Yet it seems, and, and, and Amy, your parents were a little bit skeptical, but it seems like you guys aren't getting a whole lot of pushback from anybody. Is that accurate? Or are your friends like, whoa, what the heck are you guys doing, you crazy bastards? <laughs> I would say we've definitely gotten pushback. Um, my sister has been a... <laughs> She's been, um, she hates the idea because first of all, it means we travel and she's my best friend. So she's like, please don't leave me. And then I think a lot of our our other friends also kind of feel the same way and they just don't get it. They just don't have any desire to live the life that we live, which is fine. But um, it's kind of varied, Mm -hmm. but no, it hasn't been um, all support. All of her friends and family, um, family especially, they've, I mean, they've been in the Atlanta area for generations. Her entire family grew up in the same church. They were all in the uh, praise band together. Um, so it was a very tight-knit family, and they've been in a bubble for a pretty long time. So uh, stepping outside of that bubble and doing something different was kind of a shock to everybody. Um, so there was there was quite a bit of, of pushback there, if not you know maybe not so much directly from our parents, but yeah, there there was definitely pushback everywhere else. Mm. It's interesting the um, the bubble that you describe was that. Would you say that was a like um, a Christian bubble or an American Dream bubble or something else? Probably a southeastern bubble. <laughs> yeah, I would say more of an American dream bubble. Um, yeah, just kind of a, a, I always like just talk about like roots and like how I just feel like we were very um, 
what's the word like structured comfortable safe we're all from snellville georgia we've grown up there right outside of atlanta and it's just kind of like we're kind of rooted there and it's just without even knowing it we just live the same kind of lifestyle that everyone else lives it's interesting because that you say you are comfortable and safe, but there was something going on inside of the two of you that had you want to eject from that situation. Like maybe I'm gonna now I'm gonna put words in your mouth. Like maybe <laughs> some sort of a desperation or a feeling that it, the the comfort you had wasn't fitting right or something. So I we come from completely different backgrounds. Uh, I come from a, a broken family time and time again, and uh, a really unstable childhood. So doing something different to me wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Mm. Or she's lived in um, the same area, grew up in the same school, her and her best friends uh, went to college together. Um, so it, w- it was really different for her. Um, but yeah, I guess the, I was probably the one trying to pull her outside the bubble. But uh, I've, I've always talked about owning my own business. I've never really liked working for somebody else. Um, so I've always kind of had a, I don't know, I've always kind of thought differently. I've always had a somewhat of a, an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so yeah, I guess that was the desperation, I guess, was just trying to get out of the rat race. Yeah. I wonder to what extent, I'm just wondering aloud here, to what extent the tiny house movement really is made up of us broken people. I wouldn't describe it as broken. I would, I would say people who... That was, over, <laughs> that was an overly dramatic term. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. we talk about broken families, yeah. unstable, unstable histories, yeah. that kind of situation. Yeah, people who, who, who are... You know, go ahead, go ahead, Amy. I was just going to say, I think that you actually are saying something very true there because me personally by myself would have never have lived this life because, because I kind of came from this, like these rooted family friends that have just always been there for me. Like, I, I don't think I ever would have left it, but I wanted more if that makes sense. Mm. So Derek coming from something broken, he, he was ready. And so he pushed me to do what I wanted to do and would have never done without him. So I think that what you're saying is very true. I think there is some accuracy there. It's like, so I think Michelle and I have similar, somewhat similar backgrounds in the sense that we come from families that are not traditional, let's say. And, and the, but I wonder it's like, so I, I spent nine years in the Marine Corps. This is going to sound like it's off the path, but stick with me because there's a, there's a commonality here. I was in the Marine Corps for nine years and I learned all these intangible benefits like discipline and stick to and courage and all that kind of bullshit. And I, and I sometimes wondered while I was in the Marine Corps, if the Marine Corps instilled those in me or if I had seeds of that before I joined the Marine Corps. And it was because of that, that I joined the Marine Corps because I saw affinity there. And so in the same, the same philosophically, pers- philosophical perspective, I wonder if people who are in the tiny house movement, they're not broken, but they have a seed of some sort of um, own drummer, uh, outside the crowd kind of iconoclastic kind of personality that draws to them these experiences that have them not feel comfortable in the bubble as, as 
Derek and Amy are describing it. And as a result of that, they find themselves in this experience that really liberates them because mm. when they come into the community, they discover, like many of our guests have said, a tribe mm. that they didn't know existed before. And all of a sudden, like that one woman we talked to who was depressed her whole life. And then when she left and found the tiny house community, she discovered that she was happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jen Baxter. She just published her first book. Yeah. Yeah. So would you, so Derek would, I I get Amy that that you're saying that you wouldn't have lived this lifestyle had not been for Derek, but Derek, do you think you have found kind of a, maybe not a tribe because you didn't know the community existed, but a, a niche for yourself that may, that fits better than what you were doing before? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and on almost every level, I mean, my career, I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to help because this is, uh, this is in large part of a financially driven, uh, decision to simplify your life and live more free. So, uh, I feel like now I'm uniquely qualified to, to help in that area. But, um, yeah, the, the community, I never thought I've never been part of a community that's closer than the tiny house community and the RV community. Um, it's just, I don't know. You can't even really describe it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah. but I mean, maybe some of the listeners don't. Um, it's, it's just a, a level of closeness that I've never experienced before. It is interesting. We'll meet other people from this community and immediately almost every single person we click with, we're like, oh, you're crazy like we are. <laughs> now it all makes sense why we get along so well. Right. Yep. Yep. But I think another strong similarity, too, alongside what you said, Perry, is I, a huge percentage of people in tiny house situations are entrepreneurs. Yeah. They're doing their own thing. Yeah. It, it might even be a book. They might not consider themselves an entrepreneur, but they are. I was just going to say, and, and entrepreneur in the most broadest definition of that word, because some of them aren't necessarily interested in having their own business, but they because they have that, it's kind of like what I said about the Marine Corps, because mm-hmm. they have that seed of entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. in them, they find the ways that they need to find to match their skills to opportunities, which allows them to generate however much money they need to make this community mm-hmm. work for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would consider this sort of, we'll call it round three of my <laughs> mm-hmm. entrepreneurial <laughs> project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had some success in each one, mm-hmm. but it was the sociological um, aspect of the tiny house movement that then clicked. Right? Yeah. In the other, in the other instances, you know, it was a business or it was a product, and we had sales and retail. Like there was, there's this whole other side of entrepreneurialism. But with the tiny house <clears throat> movement specifically, I think you're right, Mark, that there's a entrepreneurial spirit mm-hmm. and the sociological mm-hmm. um, sort of camaraderie is what. Um, is what sort of ties us all together. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tied all together. I'm just giving him a chance <laughs> to have the last I word. <laughs> <laughs> so um, where are you guys headed next? We are headed to North Carolina. We actually are going to be leaving in about two days from um, South Georgia. And we're heading up to Asheville to visit some friends. And then we're going to bounce around North Carolina. It seems that we have a bunch of friends there. So we're going to be bouncing around, kind of see them. And then Andrew Odom. Andrew Odom oh, yeah. is one of those people yeah. that we want to see while we're out there um, in the tiny house community. Um, and then we um, may go back West and head, uh, hang out there for a little bit, but we're not 100% sure after that. Very cool. 
well, um, say hi to Andrew for us. And if you're coming back this way and you're in Portland and no one's kicking you out of there, out of a place to spend the night, come <laughs> see us, bring us up on Skype and we'd be happy to have you up yes, here. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll do. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. You've had yet another hour of or so of the Tiny House podcast. Um, clicking on about four of our five cylinders. We're from Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> We're all engines or five cylinders. And um, I hope you tune in next week when we'll have yet another great episode. Um, happy 2018. <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's funny. Unless because, you're listening in 2018. Well, I was just going to say, because we've been saying things in our morning banter, we were talking about things and it just dated the entire show. And But who gives a rap? It kind rap of always really. does to a it certain does. extent. But on the other hand, I think we, at least we, um, we uh, also have continuous stories. Like we constantly circle back on stuff we've been talking <laughs> yes, about. We, so. Yeah. We break the time zone. Yes, right, exactly. With now there's flying cars. <laughs> and jet pack. <laughs> yes. Whatever. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Namaste. Be well. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs>